in this fifth session on Ephesians 1, 7-10, I hope I can encourage your heart with some immeasurable, and that's Paul's word, (laughs) immeasurable riches of God's grace. I want to linger with you on this phrase here, according to the riches of his grace. In him that is in Christ, or to be specific, in the words that just went before, in the beloved, and then the next verse is in him, in the beloved, and we'll come back to that and why it's significant. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Father, later in this chapter, Paul is going to pray, so I'm praying now, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and a revelation to grasp the riches of God's glory, to be touched, moved by, controlled by the sight of the glory of the riches of your grace. And so do that now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why does Paul add according to the riches of his grace? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Stop. Why why say this redemption and this bloodshedding and this forgiveness are all in accord with riches of grace? One answer would be that he has just said the ultimate purpose of the universe. We are predestined and chosen before the foundation of the world to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's the deepest root of where it all comes from. It accords with his will, not our will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And I'm saying that's the main purpose of the book and the main purpose of the universe and the main purpose of your life and the main purpose of all of history. The praise of the glory of the grace of God. So when Paul starts to unpack what's glorious about the grace, he starts with redemption here. He's already said earlier that that grace is rooted in eternity with predestination and election. And now he's spelling out how the grace works in history. And when he has mentioned the first thing, redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of trespasses, he pauses and says, it was according to the riches of the grace that I just said was the purpose of the universe. So highlighting the riches would be underlining this glory here. Now let's watch Paul do this over in chapter 2, just so we can see how close to the surface it is for Paul, or maybe how deep at the bottom of everything it is for Paul. Chapter 2, verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead, because he, he's, he's doing it before the foundation of the world as he chooses us and predestines us. Made us alive. So this great love and this mercy moved him to make us, that is, his chosen ones, his predestined ones, make us alive, gave us sight, gave us a taste, brought living power to our taste buds of spiritual things so that we're alive to Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So now we have mercy and love and grace. And if you ask me how I relate those, love is the general beauty, and it expresses itself in mercy when the objects are viewed as broken and hurting and weak and desperate. And it expresses itself in grace when the objects are viewed as undeserving and guilty and wicked. So God, with great love, has rich mercy toward us and rich grace, as we'll see in just a minute, measurable riches of his grace. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's what his love moved him to do. Seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now here comes the purpose. So that, what was Paul's goal in mercifully and graciously giving us people who are dead in our trespasses life with Christ and raising us up and seating us in the heavenly places? What was his purpose? So that in the coming ages, in other words, it will take an eternity to do this in a fitting way. This should cause this word here to have tremendous meaning. This is, this is strictly immeasurable, meaning cannot be measured, meaning infinite. And since it's infinite, these ages are infinite because it takes infinite ages to, to do this. And what is it? To show. And there's a key word because it relates back to 1.6. To show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the whole goal of God's mercy, God's love, God's grace, God's raising us from the dead, God's putting us in the heavenly places, that whole goal is show something. He wants to show something. And what he wants to show is riches, immeasurable riches. Riches of what? Riches of grace, lavished in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this last phrase here in verse 7, that redemption is according to the riches of his grace, is meant to draw our attention to the immeasurable riches of grace that we're going to be tasting now all our life and in the coming ages forever and ever because they are immeasurable riches and we will never exhaust them and all of that meant to serve the ultimate purpose, namely the praise of the glory of that grace. And this glory is meant to be a reference to the immeasurable. How do you spell immeasurable? (laughs) 
immeasurable riches. They are glorious in the sense that they are infinitely much, as well as most remarkable in what they achieve. Now, let me just linger for another moment on the word beloved as it relates to those riches. This grace, he has blessed us with it, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is it? Why did he call Jesus, the Son of God, beloved? And, and that means God, the Father, loves the Son, and he loves him before the foundation of the world, because in the beloved is the same as verse 4 of chapter 1, where we are chosen in him before the foundation of, of the world. We're chosen in the beloved before the foundation of the world. So from all eternity, there has been a father and a son and a spirit. This is called the Trinity. And in the fellowship of the Trinity, between the Father and the Son in particular, there is a love that, if you just stop and think about it, would have to be perfect. And would it not have to be infinite? In other words, you cannot imagine an intensity of love and enjoyment. Remember, he's not loving the Son in spite of the Son's sin. The Son has no sin. He's loving the Son precisely because of all the lovely things in the Son. This is not undeserved love. This is perfectly deserved love and therefore perfectly joyful love. Perfect love, infinite love, because the Son is infinitely worthy of love. Which means that in the Trinity, there has been from all eternity joy delight between the Father and the Son. Now, I draw attention to that because right here it says, in him, in that beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And I think Paul would want us, in our best moments, to reflect on the fact that these riches are the overflow of the joy of the Trinity. In other words, God and the Son and the Spirit have such a relationship that at their very nature is fullness and overflow. That's where grace comes from. That's what makes it so glorious. That's why it is immeasurable riches of grace, because it is rooted in and overflowing from the relationship between infinitely loved persons, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, all of it in the power of the Spirit and overflowing to us with immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus forever. Breathtaking.